Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics is brought to you by Shortboxed. Uh, Shortboxed is the easiest and safest way to buy and sell graded comic books. They're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. And they're doing a giveaway right now where you can win a free copy of The Dark Knight Returns number one, the 2018 printing uh, with a foil cover. And this one is signed, Kevin, get this, by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, rated 9.8 quality. Ooh, Those guys had something to do with that comic book. Yeah. So to win that, go to shortbox.com slash screw it. You'll be prompted to enter your email. No purchase is necessary, and you'll be in the running to win that comic book. This contest is going to run until March 10th, 2022. And by entering, you'll also get a free promo code for $15 off a uh, purchase if you're interested. Great. Download the Shortboxed app on iOS or Android today. Or tomorrow. Or do it tomorrow. Yeah, no rush. Sometime this week. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. You know, the things you read. Uh, this <laughs> is the only podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. Uh, I'm one of the two brother slash host slash kind of comedians, Kevin Hines. I'm the other one, Will Hines. And we are, uh, it's one of those rare podcasts where we're in the same room. Yeah, I happen to be on the East Coast. Normally, I, I'm in Los Angeles, and Kevin is in New Jersey, but I'm visiting yeah. him, so I'm also in New Jersey. This like, is a real Jersey podcast. Like many people, Will just can't escape the lure of suburban New Jersey. It's just a thing that everyone comes here, everyone mm -hmm. everyone stops through. It's it's a real tourist trap, Maplewood, New Jersey. I got Maplewood, New Jersey, the city of dreams. You got to come. You got to see the place where uh, well, South Orange, I guess, is where the Sloppy Joe was invented in. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimate frisbee. These. This is what we're known for. Oh, I've been doing. I've been guesting on Chris Gethard's Twitch show, and I feel like if you're going to be hanging around with Chris Gethard, you have to bump up your Jersey cred one way or the other. Yeah, that's or, right. Or he gets annoyed. He gets real mad. So um, this uh, episode, we are beginning something that Kevin and I have wanted to do for a long time. We're going to be talking about the Dark Knight Returns by yeah. Frank Miller, Klaus Jensen, and Lynn Varley. Yeah, it's a little quiet book that was released in 1986 and then changed uh, comic books forever. Yeah, a little indie book that not a lot of people noticed. Oh, no, except that it was one of the best-selling, most critically acclaimed, seismically shifting uh, comics that changed everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is a, sort of a mini-season because there'll only be four episodes. So there's only four issues. We'll do one issue, an episode. Mm, that's right. Uh, so today we'll be talking about issue one, uh, The Dark Knight. Uh, 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 returns. Right. The series is now known as Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Kevin pointed out to me as we were getting ready for this that when it was originally released, it was actually called Batman colon The Dark Knight. And the first of the four issues was called The Dark Knight Returns. But then that just sort of became what everybody called it. And then on the trade paperback releases, they even just said Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and as we said, this comic changed everything. Uh, yes. I mean, Batman was already getting more and more popular uh, I mean, he's always been popular, but he was kind of getting darker and grimmer already. But this sort of just amped it up to a thousand. Like, this was the main book that when the Batman movie came up by Tim Burton, this was the book everyone was said, like, was the inspiration of that movie. Not story-wise, but mood-wise, feel. Yeah, it's, you know, Kevin and I were um, at prime comic book reading age. I think I was 16 and Kevin was 11 when this came out. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, f reading comics passionately every week. Um, really buying back issues and stuff and just into full comic collector's mode. And when this came out, 
I mean, it was a nuclear explosion that we were completely vulnerable to. We were Bruce Banner standing in front of the trench with a gamma bomb just going off. And the gamma bomb was Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I don't know if I was buying comic books yet. So I was still at the whim of what Will bought. (laughs) So I'm glad Will was buying the most popular comic at the time. Otherwise, I wouldn't have read it. Um, I do. I do wonder, you know, there's probably people listening who know better than us, like, how this changed Batman. Like you were saying, um, it was grimmer and darker than anything that had come before. But Neil Adams would do very noirish looking stuff. And there would be, I'm sure there were dark and grim Batman stories before. Yeah. We, we were past the Denny O'Neill, <laughs> Rachel Ghoul stuff at this point. Right. right so like that was, that was a, an a, a adultification. That's a word I just invented. Of <laughs> Batman to some extent, like, uh, the the illusion of Batman at that time to like the general public was still the TV show, right? Um, so to anyone who had just read the TV show and read this, that's a uh, an impossible shift. But they had been shifting this way anyway, right? So yeah, I think like when this came out, the Batman TV show, the Adam West Burt Ward Bang Zoom TV show, was still kind of the most the biggest yeah. representation of Batman, weirdly. And we love that show, right? But like that's yeah. hardly representative of what the comic is. And this was the first of two punches that ended that. The Dark Knight Returns was so massively popular, like covered in time. It was like in Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly everybody who read comics got it. And then it even spilled out beyond that to people who were kind of just like, you know, You'd hear about it the way, like, even if you weren't into music, you'd some bands like The Clash would come along and you'd be like, what's going on with The Clash or whatever? Right. And the, the Dark Knight Returns transcended comic. This and then the Tim Burton movie three or four years later cemented Batman's image in the public eye yeah. as the noirish, dark, rainy streets yeah. person. This created an angrier Batman, a more broken Batman, a more emotionally devastated Batman, a Batman who didn't get along with Superman. Yeah. Uh, like all these things kind of, uh, it, this set in, uh, sort of set the dominoes that would eventually kill Jason Todd because he was alive and well in the comics. But in this series, it, 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 you learn that Jason Todd has died and at some point DC's like, maybe we should do that. I yes. mean, also, even years after that, they uh, they almost take off Green Arrow's arm. They did like a storyline where it was implied he was going to lose his arm. It's like this book had such ramifications. DC Comics kept going. Maybe we have to do all these things. Right. So why don't we say what the actual story is? Uh, let's not. Uh, OK, I know that's crazy. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit. The, we, the premise we, for the setup. We, we were talking a little bit about Frank Miller before. Let's okay. talk just real quickly about Frank Miller, who wrote and drew this. Yes. Uh, is you know one of the most famous comic book creators, uh, and this was the beginning of like a two year stretch where he just made a, like ten or twelve or a hundred classic comic books. Right. So when this came out, and Kevin and I were just trying to go over the timeline before we started recording, um, he was already an extremely popular and successful comics artist, mostly known for doing Daredevil at Marvel. Yeah, where he did the Electra. Uh, storyline. Yep. And he turned Daredevil from sort of a Spider-Man ripoff, a forgettable Spider-Man ripoff generally, mm-hmm. to like this ninja, dark, cinematic, um, Japanese cinema influenced um, samurai story mm-hmm. and it had become extremely popular. And so he was a big name. Like Frank Miller's yep. name in a book was like a big deal. But 
first of all, this is his most significant work. I I can't imagine anybody arguing. This has got to be his most famous thing that he's done. And it also either began or came in the middle. We're not a hundred percent sure of the timeline of this insane run. Yeah. Um, should we try to list some of these things he did? So, so what we, I mean, this is largely based on Wikipedia because uh, so, our memory is fuzzy on all of this. But it came out, we think, the same time as Daredevil Born Again. Right. So he had left Daredevil to do other things and then had, at the time that Dark Knight was coming out, February 1986. Um, or no. Early 86. Yeah. Yes, yes. Watchmen started September 86. So, yeah, like February 86. Um, he had returned to Daredevil um, not drawing it. David Mazzuchelli was doing the art and that return by itself was also huge. The series, the story he did there, which is called born again is still like, colla- I mean, it's still one of my all time favorite, still comic probably book the stories. most famous daredevil storyline. Yeah. And then dark Knight came out. He also did, um, Ronan was just before this. Ronan was his or- totally original character, yeah. graphic novel for DC about a, a time, Japanese samurai yeah. without a master who j- jumps into the future. Yeah, and that's not as big as any of the other things we're about to list, but it was sort of like a a pretty cool comic it's from a, a uh, from a great creator, and also kind of a cool comic for DC to put out because it wasn't like a Batman yeah. or Superman. R- Ronan story. was like a milestone. It was yeah. like, oh, what's this? This guy Miller is doing something cool. Yeah. But so then he did this. He did Born Again, uh, Electra Assassin, which was a twelve issue thing uh, using the character from Daredevil. Uh, the art was oil paintings by Bill Sienkiewicz, and it was yeah. a hyper-violent, post-apocalyptic, surrealistic nightmare that mm-hmm. I love. And he did Daredevil Love and War. It's a graphic novel about Kingpin that was merely great. <laughs> yeah. Was that also Bill Sienkiewicz? Uh, I think Miller might have drawn it. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, I will say that Bill Sienkiewicz's Kingpin is what inspired the look of Kingpin in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yes. Uh, he also then did in the next year, he did Batman year one, which is me and Kevin still are picked for the best Batman story and best maybe comic book story of all time. But it, I mean, you can't think about Batman year one without thinking about Batman Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. I will say as a kid or, or like as a young, a younger man, uh, like high school, college age me, I probably would have picked Dark Knight Returns as my favorite. Yeah. And then at some point it shifted to year one and that became like sort of unshakable in my mind. Uh, which is not a knock on Dark Knight Returns no. so much as like the year one, which we covered in our podcast. Go back and look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just something purer and simpler and yeah. cooler. And this is sort of huge and epic and almost insane. Yeah, this is like a massive war movie, yeah. which feels like it has a cast of thousands hitting all these archetypical mythic characters. And Batman Year One is almost like a beautiful short story. It, it's almost like comparing Alien to Aliens. Right, right they're just like, trying to do different things. Like, so it's really just what do you prefer? Yeah, like Alien is a great film. It's small and simple and cool. And then Aliens is this sort of bombastic action movie. And they're both yeah. great. And you can't pick one and be wrong. Right, and it's really just what are you in the mood for. Yeah. But... um. So the premise of Dark Knight Returns. Great. Now let's get into that. Now I'm willing to speak about that. Okay. So what this is a story of in the future, Batman, after having been retired for 10 years, comes out of retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, Gotham has descended into a state of lawlessness that's insane and violence is overtaking. And he retired because his Ro- Jason Todd Robin had been killed. Mm-hmm. Circumstances not clear. And that made him retire. Um, On and top made- of that. Like mm-hmm. superheroes were sort of being pushed out, like, like unofficially told to stop. Yeah, and uh, Batman was the last 
not counting Superman of them to sort of stop and go away. And he only stopped because Jason Todd died. We're going to go into that more probably as we go. Right. So it's a futuristic story. Uh, An old Batman comes back and fights crime. 55. Yes. And um, so, you know, this is fun for a lot of reasons. You get like, you know, you get that kind of like post-apocalyptic sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology of the not too distant future brand of sci-fi. Um, the story sits neatly outside of the then current Batman continuity. So Frank Miller was free to like do crazy things with these characters without rocking the boat of yeah. what was going on. It's also it is a fun trope the uh, the like older detective, the older cowboy, right? The yeah. unforgiven sort of like coming out of retirement for one last mission. Yeah, uh, you're still a badass, but now age is sort of against you. You can't do the things you used to do, and you have all that going on here. Yeah, I guess Old Man Logan was another trope of this in the superhero world and the movie Logan. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, for sure, in a in a way, this comic inspired lots of. Let's see a superhero at the end of his journey. Yeah, uh, and most of them are not that good. I've read a lot of those. They do them a ton, and it's just sort of like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, Dark Knight Returns set a standard that cannot be achieved. So um, that's the premise that we said. Uh, in, in addition, so that, that is, it's done and it's done well. That's a cool story. The other thing this did was sort of bring the Frank Miller sensibility to the Batman world, which was something he had been building in Daredevil, mm-hmm. um, which how do we describe that? It's kind of like a crime novel feel. Yeah. Um, pulpy, you know, more violent than the than what you usually saw in a comic at the time, more grim more heightened, yeah. more like tough guy lines. You yeah. know what I mean? It's Frank Miller comics tend to be real quotable. I mean, I don't know if he's the guy. He did the Wolverine miniseries with Chris Claremont. I don't know if Frank Miller wrote the phrase, I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do isn't very nice. That's a quote from Wolverine in the Wolverine. Yeah. But it sounds like a Miller line, whether yeah. or not that is. Um, yeah, it's 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 like Philip Marlowe, but more violent. Yeah. Like the, the 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 dialogue or the captions and the, and the narration is very lyrical and cool and it's almost all sort of like very quotable and cool just even in isolation even if you don't know what the story is. Um, and I mean, then this, the the comic itself is violent. People get lots of bones get broken and and every everyone bleeds. Yeah, and um, and man, is it fun? Yeah, it's really fun. It 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 falls into a broad category of like you know the the society has collapsed and we need a violent vigilante to set things right. So like dirty Harry walking tall, sure. Unforgiven. Mm -hmm. Um, even, even in a way, like I'm thinking die hard, like a circumstance arises where you forgive somebody just being completely brutal because so even if you're a lefty lib like me, you know, Mm -hmm. a little weak, weak need little peace, Nick, like myself, I love the dark Knight. But if you're a right wing guy like me, right, <laughs> this is right up your alley. Uh, this also uh, so much preamble, but this also came out, as you said, the same year as Watchmen started. Yes. Like six months before. And, and this and Watchmen are both very violent, grim adult comics that people blame credit blame for making comic books more violent and grim and dark. That right. was all happening anyway. Yes, these were so successful, though, that it did seem like all yeah. subsequent ones were copying either Dark Knight or Watchmen or both. This is just where what was selling in general. It's so like things like Punisher were becoming bigger anyway. This stuff was happening anyway. But this sped it up. This uh, made it. Uh, this was definitely the thing that 
uh, people who wrote about it could look at me like, it's these two books. These are the ones that caused it. This TV show, you know, this movie, like it's always easy to point to like the biggest one be like, here's the cause where it's like, this is more of like, if anything, a symptom of it, right? This was like, yeah, because things were getting so dark and grim, these books could be made. And then they did that to the 12th degree. Yeah. Um, they're both great. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's the, the, even the people who don't like that trend have to give credit to this story yeah. and to Watchmen of just being really, really good on their own. But I think if you were not going to like this comic, that's the reason you would not like it. Because it's just like, I don't really, I hate how violent comics can be. It's like, well, then this comic can be a big turnoff. It is really good. And I think it overcomes any qualms you have. about. Like, I feel that way. Uh, we'll talk about it when we get to the Joker issue, but I hate how much Joker murders now, but I've got no problem in this comic with it because it, it fits, it right fits in. the story and it, and um, it works. It is, it is, um, I'm thinking, you know, when, when we do these issues that we love so much, I'm thinking about people who might not have read it yet. So obviously we are saying, read it. This is a tremendously good comic book. If you like superhero comics, I mean, at the very least, you'll be interested in this and I have a feeling you will love it. But I, you know, when I think about a new reader coming to it, I always sort of, I'm things come to my mind about like what makes it difficult to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And this is a, this is a difficult read in a lot of ways. Dense comic. There's tons of words. There's tons of panels. There's a lot of information. That's also like Watchmen. Like you're just, you know, I just reread the first issue right before we were recording this. I mean, I've read it, you know, so many times in my life, but like, um, the first issue like sets up and lays down all this exposition and it's kind of you're just being hit with a lot. Yeah. Uh, Will and I, since we both are in New Jersey, uh, we've been talking about this book a lot. Uh, and one of the things I mentioned was like when I re- first read this as a kid, I skipped large chunks. Like there's pages where it's just like 30 television sets kind of giving you yeah. exposition through like switching channels. And as a kid, I was just like, ah, let's get to the next splash page of Batman leaping out of a building. Right. Uh, and I could follow it mostly. I missed a lot of the a lot of the nuance of this hyper-violent comic. Yeah. Um, and it still held, I think it worked. I mean, I still loved it as a kid. Yeah. And then as I got older, I would just read more and more of it. Now I can't imagine skipping even one panel of it. Uh, but I definitely know people who've tried to read this comic and gone just like, that's, I couldn't get into it. And I'm totally, I totally yeah. understand that. Um, obviously we're saying it's worth it. Like if you find that, if you haven't read this and you get in there, you're like, man, it's so dense and there's so yeah. much really, give it until the end of the first issue. I would say that, I mean, I know that's 25% of it, but like, if you can get that far, you've, you've gotten a fair, I think you'll be drawn through the rest. And the eighties, even when this came out, like they were, they were breaking away from this. They've been breaking away from it for, for maybe five or six years, but there still was largely house styles, right? Like Batman was still mostly drawn. The Neil Adams. ish. Yeah. And Marvel comics kind of had a house style, unless it was a Frank Miller drawing it or something. Even John Byrne sort of fit that house style. Like even some of the big artists, Right. There weren't a lot of Walt Simonsons and Frank Miller's drawing comics. And this comic also art style is very different. Yes. Like if you picked up a regular issue of Batman or even the Mazzuchelli year one Batman and then picked up this, this art could be, I think, off putting to people. It's, it's cool and, and, and it's electric. It's really and stylized. Kinetic. It's unique. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's awesome. Like, I mean, can we I, I, look, we're talking so much before we get even into this. But like, yes, the art style. I mean, can you believe they did this with Batman? Like, this is basically like giving, you know, a crazy story in the hands of an artist who's doing a really radical art style, huge swings and changes to the character. Yeah, it's in the future. So it's all like you don't have to, you don't, you're not stuck with it. But like on a huge scale, too, this also was like, 
published in the trade paperback thick cover yeah. format to you know that was also unique. for a while they called it the dark knight format right like the 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 issues themselves the four issues each one sort of had a what feels like a trade paperback mm-hmm. binding and that was rarely done maybe almost never done like just just picking up the first issue with its now famous navy blue background bright lightning bolt silhouette of batman leaping across it on the cover it just felt like something important was happening, yeah. something massive. Letting someone do a comic like this would be like someone letting like Mickey Mouse do like an adult story where he like he uh, <laughs> loses his virginity or something like a, like a like a, 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 a Porky's version of Mickey <laughs> Mouse to some extent. It's like it's like uh, if you you know if it's clearly marked as for an adult, there shouldn't be any confusion, but. Are you aren't you worried about damaging the brand of your character? I, I guess MCU does do something like this. Well, they will take a director who hasn't had a ton of experience yeah. and give them an incredibly big financial property. I'm thinking of Black Panther was given to Ryan. Uh, what's his name? Coogler. Uh, Coogler, who very successful director, yeah. but he hadn't done like mass. He did Creed, right? But he hadn't like, done an action movie. Yeah, yeah. and um, I would say the difference there is there is somebody who's standing over you and going. I think like Kevin Feige like sits down and goes, all right, what kind of Black Panther movie would you make? All right, you're not our guy. <laughs> like there is a bit of like it needs to fit in their framework. Like they didn't make Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Uh, and right. Edgar Wright is an amazingly great director. That Ant-Man would have been a great movie, but it didn't fit their world. So yeah. they didn't take that big swing. Like DC at this time was saying, Edgar Wright, make our Ant-Man movie. Yeah. Uh, do whatever you want, man. You're great. Yeah. And Frank and, Miller is great. And if you're not going to trust the created, like in, in a world of release the Snyder cuts, yeah. yeah, there's a part of me that's sort of like, I, I hate the Twitter discourse, but there's also a part of me that's like, hey, you hired this director to make a movie. Let him make his movie. If he's not going way over budget. Yeah. Like he should get to make his movie. And if it's bad, well, you shouldn't have hired him. Let him do it and like let him fail and let it be on his shoulders. But also, it's, you know, this is very important to your bottom line or whatever. But, yeah. you know, comic books is different than movies, right? You can take a big swing. And if this comic failed, you're out money. Yeah. But, but your, it, your company's not bankrupt. Exactly. Yeah. The, you're, it's just way easier to take a risk in a, in a print book. Yeah. I think it's harder for them to do it nowadays in comics. Yeah. But this is a great well, time when they can take these big swings. We're so glad they did. I mean, this is one of the all-time yeah. greatest superhero comics ever in scope, scale, ambition, results, success. But if you haven't read this and you love superhero comics, we think you should try it. Yes. If you love Batman, it's insane that you haven't it's read insane. this. It's uh, insane. If you don't like it, you know, think of it like uh, just like an important. Think uh, of it like watching Citizen Kane and being bored but appreciating yeah. its influence or something yeah, like that. that's exactly what this is. We'd like to hear. I'm going to tell you right now. Our, our email address is screwitcomics at gmail. If you read this and don't like it, we promise we won't get mad at you. A little mad. We'll get a little irritated. But we would like to hear why. Um, it's always interesting to us to hear people who haven't read the stuff that we have loved for decades and sort of see what their impression is because we can't look at this with new eyes. And if you haven't read it and have any opinion, a good opinion, I'd also like to hear that too. Yes, That's for sure. Too. Uh, there is an animated series. I think we, we're, we're doing so much preamble in this episode. We'll talk about that in another episode. There's yeah. an animated adaption, not animated series, an animated two-part movie. On Netflix right now. Uh, yep, it's on, it's on HBO Max. Uh, and there's also an episode of the Batman anime series that sort of adapts a little bit of this. I'm going to talk about that, too. Okay. Maybe we'll but, do a fifth episode or something. Um, I, when we don't have as much preamble, it'll be easy to talk about that stuff because we other, both appreciate those things a lot, too. Yes, they're really good. 
Um, but for this, I mean, I feel like we could have done a series where we covered like one page every episode and not run out of much to talk about for a while. No, it's so good. So I'm already worried this is going to go long. It so is. So we'll save that for next episode or, okay. or episode three. Okay. Next yeah. episode's too good. We might not have time to do next might. episode. <laughs> next issue is. Yeah. They're all so good. So I, I think if I picked my favorite issue, it's issue two. Um, I might have to go four. Oh, wow. Two is crazy to pick. Uh, this is a stupid conversation to talk about before we talked about it. Because <laughs> the villain of two is... The villain of, is an unknown villain. It's an unknown villain. And he's sort of like... One, three, and four have these insanely yeah. marquee antagonists. The first one is generally always the best thing. But three is Joker. Four is Superman. One is Two-Face. Uh, uh, so it's like... Those are all sort of Two cool is an thing. unknown guy that Miller made up like in the series. And that's Kevin's favorite. Some guy with sharp teeth who like hey. seems like something out of a cyberpunk novel. Give, and, given what you said about year one, I'm just glad you actually like that Batman's in this comic. I mean, honestly, if you told me there's more Gordon in this, I wouldn't be into that. There's not that much Gordon in this. He has a big part. I would love more Gordon. <laughs> if you did like a uh, issue two and a half just about Gordon, <laughs> I would buy that. In a My heartbeat. brother is the biggest Commissioner Gordon sucker He's I know. Great. All right, let's get into this. Let's issue into one, this. The Dark Knight Returns. So there's lots of collections of this book. I'm sure it's available digitally. Will is reading the original trade collection of this that came out in end of 86. <laughs> yeah. It's beaten up and battered because you, you and I both have read that copy. I think you got this for me for Christmas that year. And then I probably read it before I wrapped it. I did that a lot when I would buy you comics at that time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that, that comic looks worn out because while ever we lived together, I didn't need to buy it. I would just pull it off your shelf. Yep. I've since bought my own copy. I have the 10th anniversary copy from 1996, which in and of itself is 24 years old. Yes, these are crazy. Uh, anyway. Uh, so the, 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 I'm sure there are more modern collections. The big picture summary of what we're about to cover is Batman's been retired for 10 years. And over the course of this issue, we see what has happened to Gotham into the, in this time and that he is driven to come out of retirement mm-hmm. and battle Two-Face. And that, that is the very high level yeah. summary of this issue. This issue, each issue is like 55 pages. <laughs> so uh, we're going to try not to go over every single page in depth. Uh, this first page I do want to go over in depth because <laughs> I think it's really great. Uh, there is one, two, three, four uh, so, times four. There's 16 panels on the first page. And that's pretty common in this book. There's a lot of 16 panel pages. But for the first page of a comic as like, what was I, 11, we said? Yes. That's a lot to hit me with. And like Batman is not on it and you can't really tell what's happening. It's Bruce Wayne in a race car that's on fire, but it's close up shots of the driver. It's very abstract. I mean, this is a really like artsy book. Yeah, and it's not clear that it's Bruce Wayne. You don't know how this figures into Batman. It's done with an internal monologue narration. Yeah, it's not clear what's going on. Yeah, I definitely probably skipped this page as a kid. I love this page now. So let's read a little of it. Yeah. So we have we, what we eventually realize is Bruce Wayne is driving a race car, mm-hmm. and um, he's reaching the finish line, but the car is is falling apart. He's pushed it too hard, and it's basically catching fire, and he's and he's about to die. Yeah, he's being told he's got to slow down so that his car doesn't blow up. Uh, and instead of letting... And, like, there's some sort of automated thing that can stop his car. And he rewires his car so it keeps running. And it does blow up. It does blow up. And only because he jumps out of the last second does he survive. That's right. Uh, and there's a thing he says here. Well, are we going to read some of this? Yeah. So here's the opening lines of Dark Knight Returns. It's uh, We see what we learn is Bruce Wayne in what like like a space helmet sort of race car outfit i've got the home stretch all to myself when the readings stop making sense i switched to manual and then someone is yelling at him over intercom bruce this is carol you're going too fast i think Who's just carol just read the captions i think 
Okay. But the computer crosses its own circuits and refuses to let go. I coax it. We see him ripping wires out. It shoves hot needles in my face and tries to make me blind. I'm in charge now, and I like it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's already so hyperdramatic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then the front end lurches. All wrong. I know what's coming. I've got just under two seconds to shut this mess down and forfeit the race. The engine, angry, argues the point with me. The finish line is close. It roars too close the left front oh keep going uh the left front tire decides to turn all on its own i laugh at it and jerk the steering wheel to the right um and then we see the car sort of spinning out it's catching on fire even more the nose digs up a chunk of i don't even know what this word is macadam i look at it then straight into the eye of the sun this would be a good death but not good enough Uh, and that's a recurring theme is him saying this would be a good death. He's looking for an honorable death like a samurai. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he's been retired for 10 years and he is, uh, while this is not super clear at this point, he's miserable. He's miserable. He hates not being Batman. Yeah. We find out that he's retired because Robin died um, and maybe also the government was pressuring and he maybe he was just getting older and not able to do it or something like yeah. that. But he's retired and he hates it. Yeah. Um, There's a great moment, and this is a, a, a stupid digression, but in uh, Batman Beyond, when they show why that Batman retired, there's a moment where, like, at that point, he's, like, using, like, cybernetic suits to make up for his weakening body. And there's some moment where he's losing and he picks up a gun ah. and he doesn't use it. But the, the fact that he thought about using a gun, that's when he quits being Batman. Uh, yeah. It's a really cool moment. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this comic is also great. But Batman Beyond, also really fun. Uh, uh, old Batman is just... Always a fun idea. It just works. Um, Bruce survives this race, and we've established the the good death theme, which is going to happen throughout all four issues. Um, and then we move on to just sort of set in the scene of Gotham. First of all, there's a heat wave, and it kind of that emotionally mirrors the tension that Bruce yeah. Wayne feels inside of himself. And that's a classic noir thing, right? Like uh, yeah, just New like York so City, hot. 110 degrees. Yeah, uh, for days on end. It's like I've lived in New York a, a long time now. I've never had a stretch like that where it's just like everyone is miserable, and, but it's, yeah. but but almost like so many noir action movies have that as a setting, <laughs> and it is cool. Um, the, the, we also set up a trope here, which is we see news anchors, and there's a ton of television screens in this comic yeah. where like you're seeing mostly a news cycle. Mm-hmm. It, it both gives you exposition, it tells you what what people think of Batman, it also just does a parody of. What would what didn't exist yet, which would soon exist, which is the twenty four hour news cycle. Yeah, it, it, this was done in eighty six, but it feels like I'm watching someone flip between CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. Yeah, uh, and he kind of you know this this comic leans sort of right wing in in, in sort of the Clint Eastwood dirty Harry mm-hmm. mode, but it actually makes fun pretty well of all sides. You know, you've got like super weak liberals yeah. who would just let everybody out of prison yeah. because they feel sorry, but you also have insane racist homophobic right-wing people yeah. that are just scared of their neighbors to an insane degree uh this, you, this comic definitely lands on uh violence is sometimes good right right <laughs> it's sometimes necessary but um, it it isn't it doesn't go full yeah you, <laughs> um it makes fun of mostly just of politicians and pundits in general i would say yeah, so like the the bottom of the first page and the whole second page is just TV uh, uh, shaped like TVs, little pictures, and then text above it of what the anchors are saying. We also find out Gordon is uh, uh, on the verge of retirement. On the verge of retirement, and also getting death threats a lot. 
Yeah, and we start to establish how violent Gotham City has become. Um, we cut to uh, a Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne having a drink socially. So, like, they he knows his identity. Yeah. I forget when that was established in the comics. Uh, not at this point. Okay, so uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like some writers write it like, oh, Gordon knows but doesn't say anything. Okay, and some writers don't. And it doesn't really matter which one you believe. This is just, this is establishing they know and it's out and they both know. They're drinking. They're having a drink together. And they also sort of comment that Batman used to not drink, but now he drinks a lot. Yeah, and that's like one of the things about Dark Knight Returns, which is like Miller, you know, knows the Batman mythology so thoroughly. Like, I think I might have missed this when I read it the first time. So they're drinking. And basically what they're what we're establishing here is that Robin died, that he's been retired. And like um, to Batman says... Um, Gordon and Bruce says it's good that he retired isn't it and Gordon just goes I'm grateful he survived retiring Bruce Wayne says he didn't but Bruce Wayne is alive and well okay so we know Batman's retired and then Gordon says glad to hear that you've certainly learned to drink remember the old days Bruce that playboy routine you with your ginger ale pretending with champagne fooling everyone almost well now I'd almost worry and so that sort of reminds us okay bruce wayne would pretend to be a party boy look like he's drinking not really be drinking and now maybe he has like a drinking problem because of his depression or something right then we get a little kind of a lot squeezed into like three panels and if you've already been reading 32 panels of like news screens and stuff you're you might not be absorbing this and we haven't seen a batman costume yet we're three pages in we don't stan lee would be out of his mind stan lee would be crazy (laughs) don't worry batman fans we'll get to the action soon enough the famous cowl will show up (laughs) but i don't Uh, think we see batman until page 26 yeah even when he shows up for a while it's just in shadows and stuff we also hear about the robins uh at this point there's only been two robins dick grayson and jason todd is the current robin in current comic books right but Gordon says, spoken to Dick lately? And uh, uh, Bruce says, not for seven years, Jim. You know that. Uh, Gordon responds, still, huh? I'm damn sorry about that. Especially with what happened to Jason. And then uh, Batman stands up. Let's call it a night, Jim. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that s- ends the conversation. So much is established there. And I'm sure I did not get all that the first time yeah. I read it. Then Bruce. I think when I read this, I didn't know who Jason Todd was. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. We knew yeah. we knew that Dick meant Robin. And it should. Be. Did I say this on the podcast? I'd say this to you. Jason Todd uh, was alive in the comics. Yeah, you know no that. sign of being dead. Uh, but this story be- was so big that eventually they considered killing him and did a one eight hundred number that cemented his cemented uh, fate. his death. He's alive again, though. It's okay. <laughs> so then after this conversation, Bruce Wayne goes through a walk through Gotham. So we start to get glimpses over how bad it is. He's up in his head. He's missing being Batman. We we start establishing the very like. Um, the very thick noir atmosphere of the mm-hmm. prose. Um, and he wanders coincidentally back to the site of where his parents are murdered. Right. Right. Yeah. He goes to crime alley, the little, the uh, uh, street lamp right where they are shot. And we see our first sight of the mutants. The mutants are like a gang of what seems to be not human people. Yes. I think they're just supposed to be like teenage ruffians. Yeah. And this is such a violent world that they're more like clockwork orange style gangs yeah. where they just commit like, unspeakable acts of violence every night but they're drawn like almost like orcs like they don't look regular they don't look like humanoid Uh, and so they're a big gang in the city right now that as the major part of issue two Uh, but the first time we see them is here where they uh, come to mug bruce wayne but they leave him alone because he looks big he seems like he's too freaky too freaked out into it really he's like reliving his parents death and just kind of going nuts yeah he smiles it's also cool he bruce wayne starts sort of imagining they are the person who killed killed his his parents. parents Uh, cause he says like, 
he as he's sitting under the lamp, he's like, uh, uh, he's br- he once again he's brought me back. I think he's talking about the bat. Uh, once again, he's brought me back to show me how little it has changed. It's older, dirtier, but it could have happened yesterday. It could be happening right now. They could be lying at your feet, twitching, bleeding. <laughs> and the man who stole all sense from your life, he could be standing right over there. And that's where the mutants are. Uh, and then Batman thinks to himself, it is him. It is. And we know so many ways to hurt him. So many lovely ways to punish him. Yeah, we, get, we a little later in this issue, we establish that there is a supernatural entity called, that is a bat, mm-hmm. which sort of entered his life when he was six years old, before his parents murdered, and, is sort, yeah. and sort of represents the spirit of the Batman, yeah. which drives him to become this crime fighter. And sometimes that bat has a little bit of its own internal voice sometimes. Or Bruce Wayne is crazy. Right. <laughs> um, you could read it that way if that's more And it would totally not bump anything in this in these issues. Um, okay, so the mutants leave him alone. We cut back a little more news, more more descriptions of these violent crimes. The heat wave is still going. And now we do, we visit him with the Joker. Like, this issue has to set everything up for all four issues. Right. We, we go to Arkham where we get a glimpse of the Joker. Just a little glimpse. Uh, we see a therapist walking by the Joker. Right, but then That's we move not on. even said who it is. Right, but we know who that is. Yep. And uh, then we move into the antagonist of this issue, Two-Face, and we see that he his face has been healed and... There is a psychiatrist who says he's been emotionally healed, and this and this psychiatrist becomes one of the main characters of The Dark Knight Returns. So we see Two-Face. He's got bandages all around his face. There is a plastic surgeon whose name is, I think, Dr. Harvey Willing or something like that. Uh, Dr. Somebody Willing. Bartholomew Wolper is the therapist, and the plastic surgeon is Herbert Willing. Okay, and... Um, so the, the plastic surgeon is kind of like a scumbag, cigarette-smoking plastic surgeon. He's like, you look beautiful, kid. You look beautiful. Yeah. We, don't, we don't see much of him after this issue. But Wolper, we see, he kind of represents your nightmare liberal. You know, it's like it's never the villain's fault. It's yeah. the cop's fault. Uh, you yeah. know, society is to blame. Um, uh, everybody is worth redeeming, even the hyper-violent well, villains of the Batman. Well, weirdly, only the villains are worth redeeming. Like, he threw out this issue is basically like, Batman is awful and should be, we should... Do away with him. But right. the Joker and Two-Face, yeah. give them a chance. I mean, he is an insanely unfair representation of compassion. Like, if he had the same compassion for Batman that he has for the Joker and Two-Face, yeah. he'd be like, okay. He's also presented as a celebrity kind of, yeah. um, you know, like a guy who just wants to be famous. Uh, but he's really a funny character in this book. He wears a button that says, get real. He's he, His famous book is called, Hey, I'm Okay. Yeah, which he quotes... Um, and so there's a press conference where they reveal Two-Face and his face has been totally healed. He, lo- he looks like Harvey Dent again, although Frank Miller does not draw him looking like any Harvey Dent I've ever seen. But we're told this is Harvey yeah. Dent. And he's got a human face. It's not scarred. There's not a line even going down his face. He looks as if he's never had acid thrown into his face. And um, he's being released. And Jim Gordon is very skeptical. Is like, no way. He, I do not trust this report. But weirdly... Bruce Wayne is in favor of the release. This is an interesting story yeah. point. The commissioner is an excellent cop, but I think a poor judge of character. We must believe in Harvey Dent. We must believe that our private demons can be defeated. Yeah, and that's the theme of this issue. Yeah. The first of the four issues is that Batman, Bruce Wayne is trying to kind of contain the Batman spirit. Yeah. And so he feels a sympathy with Two-Face. Like Two-Face can't contain his villain side. Bruce Wayne cannot contain his vigilante side. Yeah. And so he has, like, deep compassion for Two-Face. Right. He, if if Two-Face is evil, then he has to be Batman. Yeah. 
And he can't be Batman anymore. He's 55 years old. Um, we cut back to a flashback now of a six-year-old Bruce Wayne who discovering the Batcave and discovering the supernatural entity of the Bat. I'm just going to move quickly through that because just to get to some other stuff we're going to yeah. talk about. It's really beautiful looking and yeah. cool. We get some big panels there. So as, a, as my 11-year-old me was like, great, I can read this. Yeah, we can take a breath. Uh, and also it's familiar looking things, right? Like right, we the see the Bat Cave. We see um, Robin's. Robin's costume is kind of like a museum exhibit, almost like a memorial to him. Which, again, has become a thing that would after Jason Todd died, that became a part of the Batcave, like the, like the Penny and the uh, T-Rex. Wow. There was always Jason Todd's uniform there uh, as like a testament to the fallen uh, hero. Um, so we see first we see the six year old kid describing the Batcave. We cut to modern day Bruce Wayne, who in the middle of the night, unable to sleep, has kind of just sort of blindly wandered into the cave to look at Robin's costume. And he his mustache is gone. He's, Either, well, he's also naked. He's naked. Yeah. He just kind of got out of bed, unable to sleep. Um, and he's his mustache is gone. He either shaved it off without knowing it, or maybe it just vanished because he's transforming back into Batman. Well, we saw a giant bat fly overhead while he was sleeping. I think that bat ate it off. Him. Okay, maybe that happened. Um, <laughs> then almost so then we cut to the next day, and immediately Two Face is corrupt and gets back into crime. There is no pause. Yeah, he's meeting up with his gang. He throws his scarred silver dollar. Two Face has a silver dollar. He flips. Uh, it is basically generally shown as a two headed. Uh, a silver dollar, so there's a head on both sides, and he scarred one side, and he flips it to make decisions. Yeah. There's a good side and a bad side, and you see him flip this coin uh, and onto like the anti pile that his uh, um, his Henchman. gang is are playing poker. So he flips it into there, and the scarred side lands up, and you see Two Face completely covered in bandages, covering his good face. We assume healed face. Yeah, uh, or he... he's rescarred his face. It's sort of left ambiguous at this point. Um, so he's evil. Um... The weather report says that a storm is about to blow. Bruce Wayne is still at home, drinking, watching TV. Zorro is on. That's the movie he was seeing as a kid when his parents got murdered. So he relives his parents' murder, and we see it drawn Frank Miller style. Yeah. So again, 16 panels. Not many, very few words. You remember that night, and then it sort of kicks off silently for a while. Um, you know, Batman's origin has to be the most replayed origin, maybe next to Spider-Man, in terms of just like how often has it been summarized mm-hmm. in comics. But Miller gives it a pretty cinematic and kind of starkly beautiful treatment here. At the end, it kind of goes into slow motion as like his mom's pearls are shattering uh, and falling to the ground. We also get intercut like little clips from the television that sort of show the horrific crimes that are going on. Four killed the senseless attack on click. Subway deaths reach an all-time high. This click rape and mutilation of click. Here's Dave with some good news, Dave. Uh, and then the storm starts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it starts raining. And basically... Or it doesn't start raining. It's about to rain. It's about to rain like there's thunder and rumbling. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne tries to take a shower to shake this off. He goes to the window where he initially... He, he's like a junkie, right, at this point, right? He's like, he wants a fix really bad, and he's trying to resist it. He's using, trying as hard as he can not to... Dressed up as a bat. And he's struggling and he ends up kind of taking a shower and then like wandering through Wayne Manor. He gets to the window. I think this is supposed to be parallel to when he initially decided to become Batman in Detective Comics 27. And uh, a bat comes flying towards the window from the outside. He sees it. He looks pained and resisting and then sort of resigns and becomes calm. And the bat shatters through the window with a shriek. Um... And it's it is both heightened, crazy, hyper stylized, corny, and 
awesome. <laughs> yeah. We're at this point. Uh, what page number does this 18. start on? Uh, but yeah, it starts the, on The bat's 10. on 18. It starts on page 10. So this is, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is like 16 pages of comic. Uh, mine have different page numbers than Will's. Five, six, seven, Because mine says 26. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. It's page 17. The bat breaks through the window. So that's a lot of comic just to get to this point. It's good. It's all mood setting. Uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, but it is a lot. Um, we're in for a long ride here. Um, so now the so storm. let's take a break. Oh, yes. Let's take a break. Oh, 43 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> let's take a make break. 43 minutes in. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. <laughs> Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Has partnered with Shortboxed. Shortbox is an app and a website where you can safely buy and sell graded comic books online. It's trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. And as part of our partnership, uh, we'll be doing periodic giveaways. Uh, our first one is uh, a copy of The Dark Knight Returns, issue one, the 2018 printing. It's got a foil cover. It's rated 9.8 quality, signed by... No names, Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen, these two little up and comers. Yeah, yeah. Some, some like indie book guys who I think, you know, they probably did it, their version of Dark Knight Returns at some point. They probably called mm -hmm. it Dark Knight Returns. They're some, somewhat involved. Yeah, they're um, somewhat involved. Uh, to win this comic book, you have to go to shortbox.com slash screw it and enter your email. Uh, there's no purchase necessary and you'll, you will get a free promo code. Uh, for $15 off if you do want to make a purchase, but that's not required to win this comic. Yeah, and that's going until March 10, 2022. So we're asking all of our listeners to enter this. We want, frankly, we want to look good to our to our sponsors and partners. So help us help us out. We want them to be flooded by people trying to win this comic book uh, so that they're also encouraged maybe to give away more stuff to you guys. They see how eager you guys are to want it. So if you if this is a thing you'd like, uh, definitely enter, please. Yeah, we, um, as part of our partnership, we got to get some comics from this. I don't mean to brag about our oh, yeah. perks. Shortbox has taken pretty good care pretty of the Heinz Brothers. good care of us. So uh, we each got a comic. Kevin, what did you get? I, I looked at a bunch of things. I looked at, uh, uh, I was trying to find a Gru comic book, but they had mm -hmm. a, only a Gru reprint, and that wasn't that wasn't That's up to my to, standards. Not to your satisfaction, yeah. I was looking at old Ditko stuff, and that was all just too expensive. As it should be. And then I settled on an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, issue 250. Ooh. So this is the end of Roger Stern's run on the title. It's also the uh, his uh, the last time he wrote Hobgoblin before other writers sort of got their mitts on him. So at this point, Hobgoblin's identity is unknown. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a really exciting kind of culmination to everything Stern had done so far. Writers after this would sort of ruin the Hobgoblin's identity <laughs> for a long time and get, he'd become really messy. But at this point, he was a pristine A-list villain and it's a really exciting issue. Great cover too, right? Oh, it's a beautiful cover of them sort of wrestling in like a sea of flames. It's uh, really awesome. Um, I also went with Spider-Man. I got Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, issue 64. Now, Kevin, do you know what is significant about that issue? I actually remember that issue really well. Um, yeah. So that's the issue where he swings around the city. Um, uh, he yeah. uses his, like web shooters a lot. I guess. There's at least one moment where like a spider sense goes off. That's pretty notable. I, I think that happens. No, no, none of those are correct. I mean, it's correct, but not what's important. Uh, this is the first appearance of Cloak and Dagger who are characters oh, that I, I loved. And, you uh, love so, everybody from Freeform TV. I'm a huge Freeform nut. You know, I, I go crazy for anything on Freeform. If they were in Marvel Comics, I get it. 
Yeah, I, I would name another example of a freeform show if I could think of one. But uh, <laughs> I did watch Cloak and Dagger, and I liked it a lot. So I got I got this issue, and I I really love it. Yeah, that's also a great cover too. Uh, almost Eisner-ish, the way like they're it's sort of Eisner-ish. dancing around the buildings with Cloak and Dagger on the, the... words. Cloak and Dagger are like printed mm-hmm. in big graffiti-ish things. I almost um got Sandman number eight, which is that's where Death and Dream are throwing bread to the pigeons in Washington Square Park. Uh, I might go back and get that at some point. Yeah, there's new stuff being added all the time too, uh, from different people selling their slabs. As uh, that's how some of us cool guys call them. That's what the cool guys call the issues on Shortbox. They call them slabs. Uh, they also have like uh, great interviews with a lot of comics insiders, and then also for some reason us. I think there's going to be an interview with us <laughs> at right. one point on the front. <laughs> they have good interviews. And I hope also... that doesn't ruin their company. Yeah, they have good interviews and an interview with us. So they yeah. the whole range. <laughs> so um yeah, that's shortboxed. You can enter the contest, shortbox.com slash screw it. You can download the app on iOS or Android and uh, check all these things out. We're back. So we're on page two. <laughs> uh, we're on page according to my collection twenty-seven, according to Will's uh, much earlier. Uh, uh, page seventeen. We we head into now a really fun montage where Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. And begins fighting crime again. And this is fun, right? Like, we don't get a good look at Batman. We see a series of crimes being interrupted by a, to us, mostly invisible, Mm -hmm. you know, hidden in shadows, we're not shown. This is what I want in all my superhero movies, by the way. I want an early sequence of them just doing their job and doing it well. And this comic gives it to me. It's like Batman, like, stops three or four crimes. uh, It also shows us how violent these crimes are, right? Like, the criminals are so terrible. Um there's a lot of blue being used here and the blue mm-hmm. kind of representing Batman. Like the sound effects are blue. Um, the, yeah, the sky is a deep Navy blue. I mean, it's really a beautiful book. Lynn Varley, Frank Miller's wife or girlfriend at this time did the colors and she's a painter and they're rich and lovely. And they add a huge amount to this yeah. book. Klaus Jansen is the inker, has a longtime inker from daredevil. And he adds a ton to this as well. Right. Um, yeah, this is a team who's done a lot together. So, we see him stop a mugging. We see him, there's a, a pimp and a prostitute in the back of a cab and the pimp is cutting up the prostitute. Batman beats the holy crap out of the pimp and rips up the money the cab driver had taken to not bother them. Yeah, to let them get away with it. Uh, and then there's the arcade where we see a young Carrie Kelly who's going to become an, an enormously important figure in this series. Yeah. Schoolgirl. She's, we should just say, she yeah, becomes, she becomes Robin. the new Robin, yeah. And she and her friend are cutting through the arcade. They've been warned to not do that because the mutant gang hangs out there. But Carrie is brave and doesn't like to be scared of things. But the mutants are there. The power goes out. Let's t- talk for just a minute that uh, uh, this is where we get our first real big. And we get a little bit when the mutants first show up. But Carrie Kelly and her friends and the mutants all talk in slang. Yeah. So this is sort of Frank Miller future slang. Yeah. Which is also sort of a tough, tougher read. But it's really cool. It works on me, man. I love it. I mean, it's very Clockwork Orange, right? Like um, in Clockwork Orange, the the droogs all, you know, they have their own. It's real, you know, real horror show, man. Doing a little the old in out. Don't go all Billy, Michelle. It's just the storm. Lights will come back on. Uh, They call her, they call Carrie Kelly chicken legs. Yeah. Slice and dice is a thing. (laughs) Uh, Mutants say a lot. And they call women chicken legs. Yeah, uh, it's really scary. They're closing in on these two high school girls, but Batman is there in the shadows. We see him with his like four little throwing star bat things um, take these guys out. Um, 
and beat the holy crap out of them and save Carrie and Michelle. Next, we see sort of a police chasing down a criminal, and it's intercut with like television scenes of, of now Batman stuff is starting to hit the news, and people are like, oh, is Batman back? Is that yeah. what's happening here? There, it's very funny to see the anchors put that together. Uh, I've just seen, handed this bulletin, a large bat-like creature has been sighted on Gotham's south side. It is said to have attacked and seriously injured three cat burglars who have plagued the neighborhood. You don't suppose. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Uh, Another reporter says... Um, an anonymous tip led police to the warehouse where they found children, the missing children with six members of the mutant gang. All six are suffering multiple cuts, contusions, broken bones. They were rushed to Gotham General Hospital. The children described an attack on the gang members by a huge man dressed like Dracula. Yeah. So Batman is back. Uh, There's a bank robbery that's happened and two cars are leaving the scene. One of them is an old jalopy going pocket a pocket a pocket and one of them is a sports car screaming we can look back and see this is a two-faced robbery. Yep. But the cops don't know that. They chase the sports car, leaving the old jalopy. And as they're chasing it, there's an older cop and a younger cop, and the younger cop sees Batman. We don't know what he sees, but we, we know what he sees. Hey, what's that? And the older cop, what's what? I can't. Up ahead, it's something weird. Kid, this ain't the time. But it's all right, all right, what is? And the older cop looks, holy. Uh, and then the younger cop goes, you're slowing down. <laughs> yeah, you're in for a show, kid. <laughs> So this older cop knows who Batman is and knows this crime's these these guys are getting caught. <laughs> it's really fun. And then we get our first splash page of Batman. And it's I mean, how exciting is it to turn yeah. the page? I mean, I'm so won over by all the setup when we finally we see this big full page drawing of Batman. And I mean, okay, if you laugh at this page and it's like corny and too much. You're not. You are not going to fall under the spell of the Dark Knight Returns. But if you're Will and Kevin Hines, you stand up and you give this page a standing ovation. This is great comic books too because it saves the splash for when you turn the page, so you're not spoiled on it. Like it's it's very distinctly on the left page, so you've got to flip to see yeah. this Batman. Uh, he's dressed and what at this time is just what he always looks like: blue with a yellow uh, oval and the bat symbol in it. Uh, nowadays, Batman often dresses in black with no yellow. Yeah. Which starts largely here. Like, this yeah. popularized that look. But in this first issue, he's dressed like classic Batman. He's bigger, much bigger and broader than the Batman yeah. we're used to, but it's Batman. Uh, the There's many, many quotable parts of The Dark Knight Returns, and uh, this is one of them. So we see Batman. This is what the cops are seeing. Batman leaping down onto this screaming sports car to apprehend this half of the bank robbery. Mm -hmm. The captions are, this should be agony. I should be a mass of aching muscle, broken, spent, unable to move. And were I an older man, I surely would. But I'm a man of 30, of 20 again. The rain on my chest is a baptism. I'm born again. Um, really fun. Yeah. <laughs> I smell their fear and it is sweet. Is the first caption on the next page. He lands on the hood of this car and there's sort of an action sequence where he, he makes them like drive into a wall they go fleeing into an abandoned building. The cops that we saw are on the scene, but Batman waves them away. These men are mine. The older cop goes, you heard the man. But the younger cop, who's too young to respect Batman or have seen him, insists on going in. Not just going to let some crazy vigilante do it. And we get a fun little sequence here now where Batman takes out the crooks. And he just he's brutal and yeah. good. And they are completely outmatched. But he is older. He talks about needing to use his legs to climb up uh, his rope, which he didn't used to need. Like, he's definitely slower. And he's uh, he his body isn't doing the things he's used to it doing. But 
he still outmatches these guys with his tools easily. and his smarts and his calmness. Uh, he's way, way ahead of him in this instance. But yeah, seeds of things to come. He is old and there are limits to the Batman. Um, let's get a little shout out to Turk here. I want All to right. say. Yeah, Turk is a, a, a thug that was in the Daredevil comics, sort of a kingpin lackey. And an idiot and like a coward who would always like spill his guts to Daredevil and yeah. like would sell out immediately and was a spine and also was a braggart. Like right. he would tell the other criminals, I beat up Daredevil, man, myself. And then Daredevil should be like, I'll tell you anything, man, whatever yeah. you want. So we get a reference to Turk here. So this makes this in the same universe as Daredevil. Uh, couldn't be Batman. Turk said he killed Daredevil. Turk says lots. Killed Batman. Uh, sorry, yeah, <laughs> killed Batman. Yeah, sorry. Because it was Turk. I put myself yeah, in yeah. Daredevil mindset. Yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, he's older, but he takes these guys out, right? Like, and yeah. what we learn here is how brutal he is. Well, the, another fun caption we both love is when he's taking down the last guy. Um, the guy like puts a gun to Batman's head, and Batman thinks there are seven working defenses from this position. Three of them disarm with minimal contact. Three of them kill. The other hurts, and, and then we, he kicks the guy in the waist. Yeah, and there's a loud crack as this guy goes down. It's great, and then Batman's on top of him. Uh, the cop is, the young cop is basically, you've crippled that man. And Batman says, he's young. He'll probably walk again. <laughs> but uh, he'll stay scared, won't you, punk? Very Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And the, and the, the uh, criminal goes, Jesus, sweet Jesus. Like he's in so much pain. And Batman finds the two-faced coin on him. Yeah. And both sides are scarred. Right. So he, yeah. Um, and um, he tells the older cop that he wants to talk to Gordon and he leaves. Uh, it's a really cool sequence. Um, I mean, this Batman is so violent. He cripples this guy. I do remember for a long time people used to say Clint Eastwood would be the one to, if they ever adapted this as a live In action. In the 80s. Clint Eastwood should play the part. And it, he's written At that like time, he, he, he was perfect age for it and stuff like that. Yeah. Like the Clint Eastwood of Unforgiven, which is what, like 92 or something yeah, yeah. like that? Um, okay, so... Um, now we're cooking with gas. So now we yeah. have the TV screens debating, is Batman a vigilante or not? Uh, we revisit the Joker. Uh, Joker's going to – the Joker kind of has been in a catatonic state. But upon seeing that Batman is returned, he comes to life with a big toothy grin. We also see Lana Lang, who's now uh, somehow the publisher of the Daily Planet. She wasn't in newspaper as far as I knew. But <laughs> uh, this Superman supporting character now runs the Daily Planet. And she is – like on a, a crossfire type show, yeah. a debate show, debating she's pro Batman and somebody else is anti Batman. She's really funny, and she's the, great. the debates are really they're good parodies of sort of twenty four hour news cycle stuff. And yeah, they feel like they feel like this could have been written today, and you'd be like, "Yeah, you just watched some news yesterday," but this was written in eighty six. So um, we cut to Commissioner Gordon's office, and one of the criminals who we saw like maimed is here with his lawyer, and the lawyer is demanding that he be released because even though he was beaten the crap up by Batman, there's actually no charges that can stick against him. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence. No loot, no robbery, Commissioner. He has not been identified as having fired upon your man. And as for the weapon, uh, Batman put it there during a criminal assault that left two men in deep shock, another in a body cast, and my client with a shattered femur, his physical and emotional trauma should be enough to constrain you to hunt down that lunatic and cease this harassment of his victims. Can you hear me, Commissioner? And during this whole time, Commissioner Gordon's just, like, looking for a cigar. Yes. Um, and so Commissioner Gordon releases him. Yep. Yeah, he goes, uh, uh, draw up the papers for his release. And he goes, not until he's insured of protection. But they don't give him protection. They just release him. Yeah, and he calls Batman on the classic red 
Batman-like hotline that yeah. we would see in the old TV show and in the comics and gives Batman the heads up, I'm releasing this guy who was involved in the Two-Face thing so you can basically yeah. go scare him. That is interesting. Releasing him now, are you? And Alfred says, you know, sir, there is a precedent for wheelchair detectives. <laughs> Shut yeah. up, Alfred. Yeah, Alfred's very funny in this thing. Um, we have a quick cutaway to the mutant leader who is also on TV for some reason declaring yeah. war on Gotham. That'll come into play next issue. Yeah. Um, so we see this but man. But he's also, we will kill the old man Gordon. He's what he says. He's threatening Gordon a lot. Uh, yeah, but then Batman shows up. We should read it because it does establish like the violent tone here. Sure, the the criminals think. are established to be so hyper violent that it justifies Batman being violent. Basically, sure. so this and this gets repeated. I think in another issue, like this is like a taped message that is sent to the uh, the news stations. Okay, yeah. Uh, we will kill the old man Gordon. His women will weep for him. We will chop him. We will grind him. We will bathe in his blood. I myself will kill the fool Batman. I will rip the meat from his bones and suck them dry. I will eat his heart and drag his body through the street. Don't call us a gang. Don't call us criminals. We are the law. We are the future. Gotham City belongs to the mutants. Soon the world will be ours. I mean, I gotta say, I love it, but I do have a moment when I'm thinking about new readers coming to this, and is that gonna take them out? Like, is the language just, like, yeah. too much? I mean, you know, you read these Neil Adams... Denny O'Neill uh, Batman stories from the 70s and you know they're drawn like a film noir masterpiece but the dialogue is like you know we gotta stop these guys come on they're they're you know we're good guys and they're bad guys and in this in the dark night everybody is like a hyper violent yeah. maniac and uh, uh, Batman finds this guy who's released and just beats the crap out of him because he wants to know what Two-Face is up to and so he gets a little bit of information. Uh, Jim Gordon has heard that Batman wants to talk to him, and so he well, lights... they've talked, right? He called Bruce already. Oh, yeah. But um, he also lights up the bat signal here. Yeah, isn't there some other way to call him? At least a dozen. Then why? To let them know, Merkel. To let everyone know. Hit it! And uh. so the bat signal goes up, and that means the whole city sees the bat signal and knows, if they didn't know already, mm -hmm. Batman's back. And Batman and... Um, Jim Gordon talk. It is, you know, Miller we also get a glimpse of Carrie Kelly seeing the bat signal and it getting excited. We see her. That's her becoming Robin a little bit. Um, Miller does a lot of moves in this book to like think through the most silly of the Batman tropes and coming mm -hmm. up with a good justification for them. The bat signal is one of them, right? Right. Yeah. Like the bat signal, basically, as as was made fun of in the um, Superior, Superior Spider-Man Spider -Man, yeah, that we covered a few months ago, um, is like. Just tells everybody where Batman is right now. Like, if you want to shoot Batman, just wait yeah. for the bat signal to go up and you know where he go to the bat signal. Yeah. Like, um, but that never happens in the comics. And here, Frank Miller kind of gives a justification for it. It's like, it lets everybody know that Batman's on the case. Yeah, uh, it makes the city feel, it makes citizens feel safe that no Batman's out there. It knows, makes criminals afraid to know Batman's out there. It's basically the signal saying, Batman's on the prowl tonight. Yeah. Um, we do, uh, so... They're trying to figure out what Two-Face is going to do next with the little information that Batman got from this guy mm. who was released. And um, the only thing they know is whatever he's got planned is twice as big as you can imagine. And as Batman's saying it, he looks up at the Twin Towers, which are yeah. a structure in Gotham City. Yep. Um, and we cut away to um, the pop liberal psychologist Harvey Wolper. Oh, wait. It's not it's something Wolper. Wait, Bartholomew Wolper, I yeah, think. Yeah. And... Um, He's on a talk show. He loves being on talk shows, blaming Batman for Two-Face's behavior. Um, th this part right here is a typical thing that this character says. Yes, Merv, 
Merv Griffin, I assume. Mm -hmm. I am convinced of Harvey's innocence. Absolutely. However, I won't go so far as to say I'm sure he hasn't returned to crime. I know that sounds confusing. These these things often do to the layman. Basically, he just never yeah. blames the villain. He's like the anti J. Jonah James, or he's like J. Jonah Jameson in a way, like yeah. always blames the hero and is on the side of the villain. Um, Michael McKean does his voice in the animated series, and he's perfect. Um, now we see Joker is meeting with some flunky, and mm -hmm. the flunky is telling Joker, Two-Face hired me to make some bombs, but I wanted to check with you. And the Joker says to him, what kind of bombs? That will come into play later. Now we come into sort of the climactic sequence of the book, which is the yeah. crime that Two-Face has been planning, which it's what? To like land copters on each of the Gotham Twin Towers and take over the TV signals of the city and hold the city ransom. Yeah. He's got bombs. On the top of the Twin Tower buildings, I'm sure you would not do a Twin Tower bombing uh, plot in a post-9-11 world, but this is 1986. Yep. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not New York City's Twin Towers. It's Gotham's Twin Towers. And Batman sits on top of one of the towers. He doesn't know which tower he needs to be on top of. He's also holding a rifle, which seems out of character for Batman. Right. I don't know the deal with that It yet. fits the violent nature of the book, but it doesn't look like Batman. Yep. But we find out that it's not a, it's not a weapon. It's, it fires a, a rope. Yep. From one building to another that he can run across like a tightrope. Um, but it's cool when he uses it. It's real cool. So Two-Faces, some helicopters run by the Two-Face gang come in and one's going to land on each one. And Batman sort of gets to one roof, one copter. He's using some gas he developed that gives people nightmares and, yeah. you know... Kicking the crap out of some henchmen, gets to a helicopter and sees a bomb. Right, and the bomb's going to go off in like a couple minutes, real soon. It, well, yeah, it but, could blow any second, is what he says. Well, what it, what, um, yes, but it's hidden, right? Like he, Batman determines that it looks like it's just a detonator that could be set off by somebody, but upon closer inspection, um, if these readings mean what they think I do. Um, the ignition process has already started. It could blow any second. Somebody went to the trouble of disguising it, but why? But who? So, so like that, that's the Joker, right? So the right. Joker has gotten his bomb maker guy who was working for Two Face to sabotage these bombs and make them just blow up and kill a bunch of people because he doesn't care about Two Face succeeding. He just wants to sow chaos. And this is complicated, right? Like this yeah. is the kind of thing that I definitely missed when I read it the first time, like first a dozen times. Yeah, like. Two-Face basically has a bomb, and he's threatening to blow it up if he doesn't get money. But unbeknownst to him, mm -hmm. Joker has sabotaged those bombs, so they're about to go off any second and just kill Two-Face. The movie, the animated adaption, makes it that Two-Face uh, did it himself. He sort of sabotaged himself or always meant him to blow up early. It was sort of his way to commit suicide. It makes more sense for where the character's at. Yeah, it fits the character too. who is... Yeah, getting the Joker involved in this storyline feels like too much. I guess it combines... Like, since the Joker works with bombs, too, it's sort of like... We were setting the Joker up for yeah. later. So Batman um, f kind of freezes or diffuses or whatever the freezes, bombs so they yeah. won't blow up and, like, fires his not gun, which is actually a rope thing, yeah. and then runs across a tightrope between the Twin Towers while he's being fired at by the other gang. And that's when we learn that the yellow thing on his chest has a really intense plate behind it. And yeah. so it's deliberately yellow to make criminals fire there because that's the most protected part of his costume. Right, he gets shot right in the bat symbol. Uh, Magnum alone has to be. Hits me like a freight train. The plate holds. 
Why do you think I wear a target on my chest? Can't armor my head. Left arm numb. If it's a heart attack, I'm finished. A fine death. But there are the thousands to think of. And Harvey, I have to know. So again, we think we have this recurring thing of like a fine death. Yeah, he'd be dying as Batman fighting crime. Yeah. He, he wouldn't mind that. But he needs to know, is, is this really Two-Face? Has Two-Face really gone corrupt? Yeah. And there's a splash page of him like hanging by this rifle rope to the helicopter as he like swings around as Two-Face is firing at him. And then Two-Face falls out of the copper, the copper, the chopper, uh, and Batman catches him and they like fly into a window of the building. Yeah. And it's um, spectacular, right? Like this yeah. fight is awesome. Um, they, they It's all in shadows. Batman's like beating him as the bandages start to fall off. Uh, the bomb goes off on the helicopter, killing his henchmen. And then we get the final, the end of this issue, which is Batman talking to Two-Face. Yeah. Um, uh, Harvey and Two-Face goes, what are you so mad about, Bats? I've been a sport. You have to admit I played along. About And you, you took your joke about as far as it could go. I got the whole world to smile at me. Got you them got all- the whole. Oh, yeah. Got the whole world to smile at me. Got them all to keep their lunches down when they saw my face, saying I was cured, saying I was fixed. Oh, yeah, because Bruce Wayne paid for the for the treatment. Right. And I guess Harvey Dent knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah, it seems implied there. The scars go deep, too deep, Batman says in the captions. I, uh, I close my eyes and listen, not fooled by sight. I see him as he is. So he is healed, but Batman sees him the way he is, which is both faces scarred. Right. Like the, So there's three, it's four panels. It's like, uh, uh, again, these four panel rows that Frank Miller does, which are intense. The first two, it's uh, two-faced human looking normal, but he's talking about how he says, he's, take a look, have your laugh. I'm fixed. All right. At least both sides match. And the third panel, he looks like all scarred on both sides. Have your laugh, Batman. Take a look. And then the fourth panel, he's back to just looking like Harvey. Take a look. And as a kid, I don't think I knew what the hell that was. <laughs> that part I think I got. Uh, again, I was 11. I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I don't, uh, maybe I didn't even know who Two-Face was. Uh, Batman looks at him and goes, I see him. I see. And then out loud he goes, I see a reflection, Harvey. And then we have a shot of. So this is really cool. The, there's four panels of Two-Face. Yeah. Two normal, one scarred, and then one normal. Yeah. Directly below it are four panels of Batman. Right. Two normal, and then one is just a drawing of that supernatural bat entity, and then the fourth one normal. Yeah. And that bat entity is basically his two-faced face. He's like, you couldn't escape your scarred self. I can't escape this bat. Yeah, I see a reflection, Harvey, a reflection. And then two-faced is captured, and that's the end of the issue. And boy, oh boy, are we off to the races. Yeah, uh, uh, that's the first issue. I'm, I, I, I bet I did know Two-Face. I bet we had some sort of... He also was in the... Oh, he wasn't in the TV show. He was not in the TV show. He was not in, like... Uh, uh, but I think we had some old Batman cartoons. comics. I think we had on. some, like, digest-side Batman yeah. collections. I feel like I knew who Two-Face was a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, Kevin, do you like this? So this is a good comic. This is a good comic. <laughs> People should uh, uh, read this and enjoy this kind of comic. <laughs> I'm really trying to help push a few copies of this, help DC out a little <laughs> <Right>. bit. <laughs> this is one of their tough sells. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, like this and Watchmen, like their evergreen titles that just like, I, I would read these like lists of like DC's like best selling collections every year because mm-hmm. I'm weird and I would read those sort of things. And for a long time, like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns were always in the top 10. Always. For years. And it's just like, it'd be volume one of a bunch of new series. And then like 
Watchmen number three, Dark Knight Returns number six, just like constantly, those always sell yeah. as one of their best sellers, which is insane how much money they made off this. No matter how much Frank Miller gets for that, it's not enough. Yeah. It's it's a it's a constant seller. And it's good. And it's good. You know, it's, there's a reason. It's Everyone knows it's good. It's always recommended. And, and DC is also very good about um, keeping their best books in print always. Right. Like that, that Will and I have different versions of this and there have been many versions since then. It's just they're always printing new copies of Dark Knight Returns. They're not waiting to sell out. And like this is the thing I'm getting off topic of how good the comic is. But DC does really well that Marvel struggles with. Yeah. Is DC never waits for for their best books. They don't wait for like them to be sold out of them. And then, and then the you can always more. go to Barnes and Noble and find a copy of Dark Knight Returns. DC is always printing more so that when. Someone says, can we have more Dark Knight Returns? They've got some to ship. Yeah. So like, and Marvel, at least for a long time, wouldn't do this. They'd sort of be like, we're not going to print something we have boxes of. Yeah. But then it hits a certain point. It's like, hey, can I get another volume of uh, uh, your Spider-Man comic? Uh, we'll print some. Yeah. And get it to you in three months. Right. And DC would just send the box. That helps too. Uh, and they knew to do it for the right books. And these are yeah. those books. Well, it's really fun to read. Um, again, I'm sort of thinking about it with people with new eyes. Is it going to be... I mean, it's very stylized and hyper-violent. And I guess, in a way, it's corny, right? I mean, like... But uh, it's done, it's it's done corny. so well. I don't know if it's corny. It's There's a bit of it that feels almost farcical. It's so violent and so extreme that there's a part of you is like, oh, is this making fun of violent comics? I don't think it is. I think Frank Miller just loves that stuff. Yeah. Any more than, like... Point Blank is making fun of violent movies. It just is a violent movie. It is just an intense movie. Uh, Reservoir Dogs and yeah. uh, Pulp Fiction aren't making fun of violence. They're reveling in it. But I think it's like, it's a or, fine line. Or, or between... even a better example is, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the the war movie? Uh, Quentin Tarantino's. Um, oh, um, the uh, Notorious Bastards? Yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. So yeah, it's like, it's like that. Like that movie is so violent. Like they're scarring people there's blood there's you know it's intense but it's like i don't think that movie is like in this funny there's humor in that movie but the violence is just part of it yeah and that's what this feels like this feels like a quentin tarantino yeah comic book i think what it's it, there's a fine line between like a cool clint eastwood line like you gotta ask yourself punk do i feel lucky yeah did i fire five bullets or six yeah between that and like Arnold Schwarzenegger being like this is my week on i guess that's a good line too but like I you know you last yeah, yeah, like yeah, well, I mean, the, you know the 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 action movie line that's so corny, it's kind of laughable, or just so or so good that you cheer. Well, so t- so many times in those movies when someone delivers these lines, it's like if the actor's good, you it, buy it, right? It's yeah. Like when in Die Hard, there's no lines that seem cheesy, right? Come out to the coast, have a few laughs. It's like it's all great. It's a great line. It feels great. It feels cool. Yeah. Ho ho ho! I have a machine gun. Feels cool. Yeah. Uh, but in a bad movie, that would feel cheesy. And the same thing in this comic. Like Frank Miller is the his art is the actor, and he sells these lines. Yeah. That's true. Um. So it works because he is good at his job. Like a bad artist doing this book, you'd be like, oh, this is sort of cheesy and dumb and over the top. But Frank Miller sells all those things, just like, uh. I believe Tom Cruise sells quips in Mission Impossible movies. He does them great. Um, you know, and just like I think Schwarzenegger in, in his heyday could sell those lines. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when he does That's them, why I was trying to think of a bad yeah. Schwarzenegger one, but I actually like the one that I quoted. I think older Schwarzenegger, when he does them now, it feels like he's doing a, a parody of himself. Yeah, right, They don't right. work as well. But like Commando Schwarzenegger, uh, Running Man Schwarzenegger, it's like, those lines work. Yeah, it's great. Like, he's cool. Yeah. Um, well, and that's and what I, this is. This is cool. Um. 
I'm just so glad it holds up. Uh, it is an 80s story. Yes. This this reeks of 80s, just like those movies I was just talking about. This feels like you're watching Terminator. Yeah. It feels like you've rented an old movie. You know this is not a current modern comic. And it's cool in that same sense. It's like watching Blade Runner. Yeah. It's like, well, if you made a future movie now, it wouldn't look like Blade Runner. But Blade Runner is good and you know it. Yeah. Um, well... All right, that's the beginning of our Dark Knight coverage. So come back next episode. Next episode, I mean, there might be a mailbag episode in between, but uh, the next our next Dark Knight episode will be Dark issue two. Will be our episode two, Dark Knight Triumphant. Yes, um, please send us email screwitcomics at gmail. We have a Twitter screwitcomics and an Instagram screwitcomics. So please check those out. Yeah. And um, Kevin, I'm so excited. I think this is the worst issue of the four. Uh, that's tough. I, I mean, it's awesome. If I was going to rank them, maybe the third issue is the worst. I might make the Joker my least favorite. This is just so cool because it's the first one. They're all good though, right? Like, it's dumb to say that any of them are bad. Uh, but like, the Joker one, well, I'll know when we cover it again. Uh, right now, I, right now, I feel like this is the second worst. Yeah. Or the third best. I think I go two, four, one, three. I go four, two, three, one. Well, it's very close though. We both, we have two groupings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Four guys. Two. Sorry, you had to hear that. Or maybe, or maybe, maybe that's what you came for. We'll keep doing it every uh, <laughs> next episode. All ranking. <laughs> all right, we'll see you next episode. Right. Bye. Bye. Ever wanted to hear the story of the time that Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine Nine's kid had a two-hour-long tantrum that drove generations of their family to weep? Or maybe the story of SNL's Bobby Moynihan's kid who found random pizza in a playground sandbox and ate it. If so, you should check out Why Mommy Drinks, a weekly comedy podcast where I, Betsy Stover, talk to interesting people like Richard Jefferson from the NBA or Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend about a time that their kids broke them down into a shell of their former selves or maybe even drove them to drink. But in a fun way. If you have kids, this show will make you feel less alone. And if you don't have kids, you're going to be so glad you don't have kids. Listen on Campfire Media, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. My mommy drinks. Campfire.